So you, there's everything from behavioral science to to diet to to gut micro microbiome uh, and even the weather. I mean, and and the uh, the climate change, the climate inside the stables, and these kind of things. All these factors is kind of important for for uh, for trying to understand both the pathogen and the, and the host interaction. So a whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium giving young animals a healthy start. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Welcome, everyone. My name is Doug Corver, and I'm one of the hosts of the Poultry Podcast Show. Uh, welcome to our latest installment. If you find this interview interesting, please let us know by visiting our website at wisenetics.com. And you can also learn more about all of our podcast segments, which cover poultry, swine, dairy, feed milling, and pet food. And feel free to suggest a new guest as well, if you would uh, like to. Today we're joined by Dr. Brian Lassen. Brian is Senior Research Epidemiologist at the Research Group for Foodborne Pathogens and Epidemiology at the National Food Institute at the Technical University of Denmark. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you here. Uh, can you give a bit of a background on yourself and, and tell us how you uh, arrived at your current position? Yeah, it's kind of a long journey, uh, but uh, I, I, I have a I did my master thesis uh, in biochemistry at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, uh, and uh, that kind of was kind of my beginning into the path of pathogens uh, because I was uh, interested in fighting uh, diseases around the world and had a very rosy picture about how that was going to happen. So. But I ended up in the veterinary faculty uh, doing uh, studies on pigs, actually, and their immunology uh, in the in the infections with both parasites and uh, bacteria and uh, vaccine studies. Uh, but the parasites kind of hooked onto me, and I really got a, fell in love with those. Uh, and I continued my PhD, but abroad in Estonia. Uh, at the Estonian University of Life Sciences, uh, where I started my career as a researcher. So I started doing an epidemiology on coccidia and cattle there, um, and then moved on to different zoonoses uh, from there. So that kind of became my path towards zoonoses, was that, uh, but it was zoonotic parasites to begin with, and bacteria came on later. Um, and then a few viruses, um, and then when I moved back to Denmark, uh, where I came from, where I'm, where I'm coming from, uh, it had, ten years had passed, and uh, I had done a career there and ended up as a senior researcher there. Then I moved to Denmark, and then were employed at uh, DTU, uh, as we call it, the Danish uh, Technical University or University of Technical 
Technical University of Denmark, it's called, in English trans translation, uh, at the food science part, uh, where I was asked to look into controlling Campylobacter as my, my employment there. And since then, I have um, gotten different projects and, and worked on that bacteria. And hopefully, I will return to parasites again one day, but uh, mm -hmm. currently, it's bacteria. Natural Biologics is using cutting-edge science to dig deeper into the poultry health challenges you face. By gathering scientific evidence, they identify the most effective combinations of natural ingredients that improve animal health. Visit naturalbiologics.com poultry to see the newest research in both turkeys and chickens. So most of your work in the past has been with, with swine and cattle, it sounds like. How did you move into working with poultry? It was not only cattle and uh, and pigs. It was actually wildlife and pets and many kind of animals I was working with. But uh, the reason I'm working with poultry now and has done uh, done that for a few years is because Campylobacter is kind of very heavily linked to uh, to the poultry uh, and poultry production. So uh, a majority of uh, human cases can be linked to to the consumption of uh, broiler meat. Um, and that's why trying to stop that as early in the production of, or reduce it at least uh, is, is a key issue in controlling the human infections uh, and keeping them as low as possible. So, so yeah, that's how, you know, it's a, it's a major uh, source for, for the human infection. So that's why we need to try to control it. Mm -hmm. So are, th are there some unique challenges uh, working with poultry as opposed to the, some of the other species that you've worked with or, or something that you particularly enjoy working with poultry or uh, is it uh, um, the opportunity just to work with the, the pathogens that uh, excites you? No, it's, uh, I, I think pathogens are very fascinating because they, can, they, they usually teach us a lot about uh, the host, uh, whether it's us or um, the animals we eat. The, to try to understand the pathogen, you would need to understand its life cycle or how it gets into the to the host, how it lives there, and whether it makes it ill or not, uh, and so on. So to understand um, the epidemiology, as it's called, the, the transmission uh, from host to host, uh, you kind of have to understand the host from the bacteria's perspective, so to mm -hmm. say, why it's a good host to have, uh, which which makes it. The, the, the broilers or the chicken fascinating because, uh, for example, for Campylobacter's case, we, we, there's some in, indications that they, they can get ill from some of the, the species of Campylobacter, but it's mainly a carrier mostly uh, for the bacteria. Uh, so the, the gut environment of the chicken is, is, is interesting in that regard and trying to understand how um, when it gets into the broiler product, uh, into the broiler's life, uh, why at that particular time, what the animal do or do not do to kind of uh, get in contact with it, uh, and these kind of things. So you, there's everything from behavioral science to to diet to to gut micro microbiome uh, and even the weather. I mean, and and the uh, the climate change, the climate inside the stables, and these kind of things. All these factors is kind of important. For for uh, for trying to understand both the pathogen and the and the host interaction, so you really have to take everything at once to to. Yeah. Kind of so so learning about the pathogen is really a, an opening to a, a whole much bigger world that uh, uh, influences that uh, that world. So 
It is, it is. And it's fascinating if you keep an open mind and, and, and the childish kind of attitude towards learning, then, then you really can learn a lot very quickly by about a production like uh, the, the poultry production. Right. And it's also in the conversation with the farmers and uh, like what they're doing and what they see and how their concerns are. That's very interesting also to hear because they are the ones who kind of, as a first line of defense, <laughs> so right. it's really interesting to hear that thought, their thoughts and what they're doing uh, to prevent these things. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Campylobacter uh, a little bit more. So um, why is it such a big concern in poultry production? It, it's, it's a concern in the poultry production because in the end uh, it, it makes humans ill. Uh, if, if you, of course, um, the flock has Campylobacter, it's not a guaranteed thing. It's only some flocks who have Campylobacter. Um, so the, the concern is that it makes people ill and it actually is, uh, in most countries, uh, if not all, the, the major cause of foodborne uh, gastrointestinal uh, illnesses. And it, uh, it causes a lot of uh, what we call burden mm -hmm. um, to, to human, um, human lives in that sense, even though it's not a, usually not a, a uh, lethal infection, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable infection then, uh, if you get it. So it's a lot of people who get infected, uh, and and it causes uh, you know you know disease, but also loss of work and and so on. So it's in in that sense, it's important for the for the poultry production to to limit this. Uh, it's very difficult to eradicate, uh, but it's uh, it's something that can uh, be limited in with different actions. And yeah, so so that's why it's important. It's it's mainly a push from upwards uh, because the, it's not really something that it seems to affect the, the boiler itself. Mm. Uh, it's mainly a political uh, decision that this is something we need to, to do something about and try to limit. So the, the immune system of the bird uh, tolerates the presence of the, the Campylobacter? To, to an extent. It's not all species equally uh, of the Campylobacter. There's many cancer, many species of Campylobacter. Uh, some are known to, to cause uh, the, increase the risk of, of liver cancer and these kind of things. So, mm -hmm. so there's there's some uh, side effects of having some of these, but uh, it would normally be an egg laying hens that is more long lived because the broiler is, is short lived and and don't really get to develop uh, long term illnesses uh, because it would be slaughtered and eaten before that. Mm -hmm. so, I'm uh, most familiar with Campylobacter jejuni. Is is that the primary cause of human disease, or are there other uh, other species as well? Yeah, there are other species as well. Yuna uh, is, is the main one that we are concerned about and is the most frequently found uh, Campylobacter species. We, we also see, uh, see something, uh, another species called Campylobacter coli. It's, it's commonly spoken of as, as, as more uh, originating from pigs, but we do find it actually quite uh, commonly in, in poultry as well. Um, and then there's a, a more more rare uh, species um, that occur, um, and in rare cases may also cause uh, human illnesses. But it's it's mainly those two, coli and uni, we, we need to to uh, look at and find. Mm -hmm. But it's a very diverse bacteria because it's it mutates a lot. So the genetic makeup of even of those species is uh, is not just you know set in stone. It's actually something that is quite dynamic and changing all the time. Obviously, flocks uh, of chickens can be infected with Campylobacter, but that doesn't necessarily mean 
that there will be human disease uh, in people that consume those birds. So um, your approach is is a farm to fork approach. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, our, our university, we work a lot with the practical implications of what we do as a science. So we very very laser focused on, on what we do at the university is going to be used in real life. Um, and we have developed something called a risk model where we have followed the bacteria from the production to the, 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 the broiler that you buy in, in the retail uh, and try to calculate what are the um, the bacteria that are transferred from each step, step basically from farm to fork. Mm -hmm. um, and having a model like this, we can then say what happens if we do some intervention, try to stop the bacteria in different steps of, of the production uh, in the farm, in the transport to the slaughterhouse, different steps in the slaughterhouse, uh, in, in the processing and, and opening of the chicken or cooling of the chicken or packaging of the chicken. Um, then we can do different things and that may have a bigger or smaller, uh, bigger or smaller effect on the reduction of the bacteria. Um, so we would, we've been working on trying to look at this in a holistic perspective, like a whole, a whole system, mm -hmm. uh, where we, we try to find, uh, ways of stopping the bacteria on several of these steps and trying to, in the hope of that the accumulative effect of all these interventions would make a, a significant reduction to, to human infections. Uh, because it's not just one mir miracle pill that will solve, every solve everything. There's a lot of people who's been trying to get to, to develop such a pill, but it's not really uh, been there. it's not developed yet, like a vaccine or something like that. Right. So it, it, it sounds like it's a, a one health approach. Yeah, it's a one health approach. Well. We can yeah. call that. So, so can you maybe talk about a one health approach just in general and, and maybe how uh, your team is applying that to your research? Yes. So. Um, the one health means that the health of not just the human, but also the animals we eat, the wildlife around us, uh, and even the environment in general, uh, including insects and, and, and animals living in the forest, interact with each other in different ways. Uh, and this interaction affects our health. And also our, in the way we, we can also, of course, also infect animals, so it can go both ways. This is what we call zoonosis. So when some kind of infection goes both ways, then it's called a zoonosis. And the One Health is looking at this not just from a human doctor perspective, saying you are ill, I give you a pill, and then you get treated, and then you're you're on your merry way. We also try to say, you know, what made you ill in the first place, and what made that uh, thing you ate infected in the first place and mm -hmm. what are the different options of of, of that uh, animal for example getting uh, this bacteria or back parasite or whatever from wildlife pets insects uh, the soil water there's many paths that that the bacteria can can reach uh, a, a, a chicken for example so we cannot just say we, we are only focused on the chicken or we are only focused on the on the human, we, we need to also take uh, the environment of the chicken into account and see if we can, where, where do we find uh, the bacteria? Is it in the soil? Is it on the boot of the farmer? Is it uh, in an insect flying around in the stable? And depending on which one it is, we can then say we put up an insect shield or we, we, are doesn't, we don't allow them access outdoors or we 
put a disinfectant on the boot or something like that to mm -hmm. kind of think of it from many angles at the same time. Um, yeah, so we are all connected is basically the message of One Health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some bacterial species, uh, pathogens are ubiquitous and it, they require uh, particular factors in order to proliferate and cause disease. Um, what about Campylobacter? Is, how does it enter the farm? Is it always present or are there vectors that bring it in? Uh, what are your findings? It's a very good question and it's a very difficult answer because it's uh, um, there are many ways, first of all, uh, as, uh, that we know of, but we do not know that it's one way. So we look a lot on conventional farms versus free range farms. So uh, either broilers that are kept indoors all their life or have access outdoors because we see a clear difference in a number of flocks being positive. Um, usually the conventional ones that are kept indoors are, are less frequently infected with Campylobacter when they go to the slaughterhouse to, con compared to the free range. Uh, and the reason for that, we think, is because they are let outdoors and have an, a, a greater exposure to environment. Uh, and in this environment, there can be, of course, other animals, and there can be rainfalls. There can be they have a contact with the soil where the bacteria can live. Um, so they have a higher chance of picking up the bacteria from this environment. So access to outdoors is, is one that we expect to, to 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 affect the risk of being infected with Campylobacter. Um, we also know there's a seasonal change. Uh, so usually around the, the summer and late summer, at least in Denmark. We have a, a higher uh, number of flocks who enter the slaughterhouse as, a, as positive. What that re the reason for this uh, is less known uh, because uh, it can be everything from um, the temperature, of course, and rainfalls. It can be uh, insects being more active, flying around, and potentially transporting it uh, on their bodies uh, from one farm or from one area to another. We also we also have more migrating birds in that this period, and and we, there's more uh, wildlife uh, that has the chance of kind of entering the farm and or on the outdoors plot areas. But hygiene, of course, is also a very important factor, uh, and and cleaning between the flocks. So this is something that we are we are very interested in looking into and in, in what what is being done there because uh, uh, farms we follow they are Sometimes, uh, even with any 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 change becoming negative for for Campylobacter, and then suddenly they become positive again, mm -hmm. uh, uh, or or they do a lot of work to kind of get rid of it and clean and disinfect, but it remains there. So it seems to be very um, uh, difficult to kind of find out what exactly is the the thing that would work for for different farms. So it, sometimes it's probably a multi-factor problem. Uh, or different entry points of the bacteria to the farm at the same time. Uh, so one 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 thing doing one thing may not be enough uh, from our experience. Mm -hmm. So the the European Union and, and Denmark in particular uh, have have moved away from using growth promoting antibiotics for for many years now, um, and countries around the world are following suit. Um, what are some of the approaches, or are you investigating approaches to control bacterial disease that producers can use? You mentioned sanitation and biosecurity, but are there other things that producers can do? Um, yes, I mean, we, we have, for example, in, in Denmark, the industry has developed an audit system uh, 
uh, where they are checking uh, different um, uh, hygiene barriers and and who gets into the farms and do they have the the right equipment set up for for keeping these? We have these anteroms rooms where you where you you have to go through a barrier, change clothes, and so and get into the farm to even get into the farm to to uh, to work there. Um, and there's very specific rules about who can go there and which order you have to kind of wash your hands and change clothes and these kind of things. And they check these plus the the way that the farm is kind of built. Do they do they uh, the 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 feed for example the condition of the dry uh, keeping the feed dry or uh, air intakes uh, are these these intact or um, uh, we have these uh, barriers like for example if you have um, uh, sand around the, the outside of the farm that seems to have some kind of effect on on the access of insects uh, to the farm um, and and yeah I mean we we don't have a miracle pill <laughs> it's, uh, that we we can kind of recommend uh, we the, the, some much of the work I'm I'm currently doing is is doing an experiment where we try to uh, test different things that, uh, according to literature, has a promise of reducing Campylobacter in the prolapse. Because, of course, we, there's a lot of people who have been doing a lot of research, good research on this, and we've been trying to take some of what we think is the best of the best uh, and currently testing this uh, in in, uh, in the production environment. Not, just, not an experimental setup, but actually that how it should be working as it's, it's done in the farm. Um, which is usually the issue that when you do an experiment, it works fine in the lab, and then you go to the production environment and it doesn't work. <laughs> but we yeah, try to, yeah. to see if we can get it to work there in the production environment. And we, we are currently looking into both organic acids, uh, something called biochar, and uh, a product that uses a, a yeast fermentate. Um, and um, what's the last one? Uh, yeah, oat hulls, which is, uh, has been tested previously with some effect. So we want to see if we can kind of use these to um, to reduce Campylobacter. And the reason we have chosen those is, first of all, because of evidence. But secondly, we have a growing organic production in Denmark. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it's something that consumers, they, uh, they ask for. Uh, but they are very restricted in what they allow to use in, in uh, controlling uh, different pathogens, including Campylobacter, both hygiene-wise and what they can add to the feed. So we've been trying to look for things that could actually be used in this context okay. uh, of, of these things that seem to have a, have a promise. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the oat hulls. Is, is that an effect on fermentation in the hindgut and changing uh, environmental conditions? Or is there a binding of the Campylobacter to the oat hulls and, and they uh, are removed from the digestive tract? Uh, do you, have you looked at the mechanisms? Well, we believe the the mechanism could be that, uh, according to what we've been reading, is that uh, the, the more coarse diet is causing a slower movement of, of the bowel and thus a, more, a longer exposure to um, to acids, uh, the natural kind of control of, of the bacteria in, in, in chicken. Uh, so we believe that that could be one of the reasons. Another explanation could be that, uh, as you explained in the literature, that could be some uh, some maybe some some uh, other things growing on the holes that could be having a microbial biome effect uh, of, on the chicken. Uh, and we actually will be, we've been doing uh, sequencing of the microbiome of the chicken to look into 
if it's changing these things we add to the feed to, to see if uh, some of this effect uh, that, that we, we may or may not observe is due to a microbiome changing in the chicken. Um, so we have both like a maybe a mechanistic effect, but it could also be a, a change in, in the microbiome due to whatever is, is on the whole. We don't. I don't think that would be the case in our uh, situation in our case because we uh, we heat treat the pills. It's it's yeah. standard in Denmark that the pills are, that's the cause of salmonella. That the the food uh, the, the pills that are, are given to the to broilers are heat treated so so to reduce the, uh, the um, that salmonella can be introduced into to farms. Right. I'd like to remind our audience that if you find this or any of our previous topics worthwhile and informative, uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel on uh, the Poultry Podcast Show channel. And you can do this by clicking on the bell icon to receive our notifications. You can also share the video if you learned something new today. So, Brian, let's talk about uh, your work in general uh, with disease control and prevention in poultry production. Um, you know, it, it some of the, the things you've described make it sound very complicated in terms of understanding who the players are and, and where things are coming from. So um, how do you approach that, uh, that those unknowns? Uh, yeah. So you can approach it from many angles, of course. Uh, I mean, we, we, the, the, the buyer of the research in the sense of, of uh, government or whoever gives the grant are of course interested in some, some, some kind of outcome. Uh, it can be, of course, be less people ill, and it can also be uh, that it's a more competitive industry or, or something like this. Uh, but from uh, from a curious scientific perspective, we are of course uh, trying to look around the corners where nobody else is looking uh, to kind of because this there's a lot of people research, people researching Campylobacter and a lot of people doing molecular biology and these kind of things and this to try to kind of find the magic key to understanding how Macambibacter spread because it, it mutates a lot and we it's hard to find where the source are coming what's the source of different kind of bacteria. Um, so so it's kind of interesting to see for me it's kind of important to ask why things are not following a pattern. So things for example like I mentioned before is that why is it that some farms that don't do anything um, become Campylobacter negative as a, as a flock. Um, so they've been positive, 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 and then suddenly they're negative, and they stay negative, and they haven't changed anything. And people who do a lot of work trying to prevent Campylobacter have less effect. Uh, and I think it's very interesting to go and study then what is it that could have changed in that particular environment. And uh, and sometimes uh, the environment is in our lab when we do tests and suddenly the bacteria doesn't behave as we expected it to. For example, um, the way to diagnose uh, whether Campylobacter is present is to, um, to test uh, it by putting it on an agar and then they create colonies and then you count the colonies and that's how you figure out the concentration of the Campylobacter. But for example, if you put this on a metal plate to do experiments on it uh, and then remove it afterwards and try to put it on an agar and it doesn't grow just after the last drop of water has disappeared from this, this plate. It's kind of curious because if it should be that easy to stop it from growing, it should be very easy to control it in the farm. 
So there might be something we, we have missed, and then we have to study what happened to that bacteria that just got dry, and then figure out what it what it is that it uh, it's doing. Uh, it could be a meta metabolic thing, for example, that is going on that we have overlooked, and this might be explaining the epidemiology of the bacteria in the farm. Um, so it's kind of a kind of to follow the bacteria, and and follow it, and just observe its behavior. And, and appearing and disappearing and reappearing and then figuring out why did they reappear, reappear under these conditions and not other conditions. Was it especially dry or wet summer or did the farmer suddenly have a new staff coming from somewhere? Or I mean, it could be there can be everything from sociological to behavioral to climate. Everything can play in. So uh, it's interesting to ask questions and, and, and then go and test them in the lab and figure out what could be the reason. Sounds like a lot of detective work. That, that's what, yeah, it's, that it's, detective work is kind of the way to describe it because uh, it's a good way to phrase it because it's, um, yeah, if something doesn't add up, we have to, you can apply the logic, right? You can rule out things like the Sherlock Holmes, you can rule out by uh, deduction. If this is not the, the reason, then that may be the reason. If that's not the reason, then the something else until you have nothing left but the truth as, as Sherlock Holmes would say. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can try to rule out something and sometimes you end up with a situation where to get the answer of what whether something is uh, uh, the reason you lack a method and then you need to develop that method. That's mm -hmm. what we've been doing as scientists then we're like oh well, we can't test this because we don't have the tool. And then we have to invent the tool uh, to do that. It might be that, for example, the microbiome. We couldn't look into the chicken before. So the microbiome means that it's, uh, I didn't explain that previously, but it means that uh, the whole makeup of everything inside the intestine, bacteria, fungi, parasites, everything in there, including intestinal, whatever it's eaten, is one big mesh of, of, uh, of living things that you can kind of make up genetically and try to sort out and quantify um, but and it's been it's becoming a growing field now because more and more things can be connected to to uh, to this microbiome and whatever is present in this or the the makeup of this microbiome. Mm -hmm. so, so that was kind of a, a new tool that was developed that allowed us to kind of explore new risks, so to say. Like you know, for example, if I give something to the feed. And it 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 uh, increases some bacteria like lactic uh, bacteria. It might decrease the Campylobacter because it makes it a less favorable environment in the gut of the chicken, to our advantage because we want to reduce Campylobacter. So that's how you can kind of with the probiotics uh, kind of can can turn up some bacteria and turn down some other bacteria. And this gives us a new tool uh, how to pursue the, the bacteria the control of Campylobacter. Mm. So you mentioned uh, having to either uh, utilize new tools or develop new tools. Um, what are some of the tools that are most important or, or techniques that are most important in your research? And, and maybe what are some of the limitations that researchers should keep in mind as they look at bringing on new tools into their uh, research program? Um, I, I, like, I work with a lot with some of some of the high tech stuff, like uh, we do the whole genome sequencing and microbiome things. Uh, but but I actually really like the low tech uh, <laughs> to the approaches where where you where you really look at what you when you open a chicken, you look at how it looks like, you take that out of the intestinal contents and you quantify it during the classical 
methods for, for, for finding capital back. So you can really learn a lot just from doing that, the classical ones. Uh, just a simple question could be like, you know, we just, we test uh, capital backs on these uh, selected plates, but what if we are only taking one colony, we may miss, we won't have the dominant colony on the plate, right? So maybe you should ask your question, am I biasing my, you know, what kind of species is causing the problem by taking just one colony, for example, just simple stuff like that. But we have uh, the the more this this molecular stuff we're using to kind of understand where it's coming from. We're trying to find the fingerprints for these Campylobacter that we find uh, in, the, in the chicken or in the humans and try to connect them the two dots uh, from the chicken and, and the human and say is 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 the chicken actually the cause of the human infection or is it from somewhere else from bathing somewhere or eating another thing uh, or traveling or whatever. Um, so. So that's how we can kind of quantify how much uh, of a problem broiler production or another production could be. Um, but there's the problem with Campylobacter is that it's mutating so much. So it's very difficult to actually make this fingerprint. It's a changing fingerprint all the time. Uh, so it's very difficult to, to do this tracing. So the dream is to use this sequencing for surveillance of mm -hmm. Campylobacter and other pathogens. Uh, but it's a lot of data, and it's it's very uh, first of all currently very costly, and it's very um, uh, to some extent laborsome to to do this kind of analysis. Um, and the the information you have to get out of it requires a lot of data handling uh, to make sense of, especially something that is changing so rapidly as Campylobacter. Mm -hmm. So we currently are on the verge of of developing. The, the tools again for for kind of making sense of all of this uh, chaos. Um, so it's not a, again not a magic pill for for finding out where what is causing the problems with Campylobacter, but it's a tool uh, for for increasing the understanding. So you shouldn't uh, be blinded if you ask the question whether we should be having concerns about the limitations. And I think the limitation is we should be blinded by by these tools. We we, we still be have to be. Uh, uh, aware about the limitations of what we can actually deduct from those kind of uh, data. At this point, it might be much better in the near future, artificial intelligence and other things, right? Yeah, so, good advice for researchers. So your, your background was initially in parasitology. So um, do you think that background gives you uh, a unique perspective or insight on understanding bacterial pathogens? Uh, yes, I hope so. <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, I mean, parasites, uh, it's kind of a love relationship to parasites because they're really, really fascinating creatures. They are, because the whole idea with parasites is that they are living uh, on us or with us uh, without us mainly knowing most of the time because they're basically adapted as, as well as any, any organism can to us. Um, so this uh, are running under the radar uh, in our immune system or, or getting infected by something uh, taught me at least a lot about what is the, the ideal situation for a pathogen. The ideal situation for a pathogen is not necessarily to make you ill. It's, 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 uh, it should be like subclinical symptoms or, or something milder that allows it to, to, to uh, multiply and spread 
because that's the ultimate goal of most pathogens, uh, like any other living thing, is to multiply and spread. Um, so that would be a successful pathogen. So with that mindset, looking at a new pathogen like Campylobacter, it's like what would be, what is the, the strategy that Campylobacter is using that is so unique that makes it so successful that we are thinking of it as a primary problem for foodborne illnesses. Um, and, and I mentioned the mutation rate, for example, for Campylobacter before that it's so fast paced, look viewed with a human eye, <laughs> the, that it's difficult to catch basically, mm -hmm. right? It's it's uh, it's changing so much. So this is a survival strategy, probably from the Campylobacter, is that it's uh, it's uh, it's cha changing its genetic makeup, making it difficult for for probably from a neurological perspective to 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 uh, get rid of or, or get immunity towards. But uh, for, from our perspective, it's it's difficult for us to kind of you know control it and prevent it because we cannot exactly figure out where, where it's coming from all the time. It might change, so it looks like it's changing um, uh, its direction. So um, I think that kind of mindset from parasology is like trying to understand the host uh, and where it's getting a, its advantage on, on the host. Uh, it's Achilles, the Achilles heel or something like that on the host is kind of, uh, I think that's, uh, that's something parasology taught me mm -hmm. uh, rather than just looking at it as a a single cell organism that needs to be eradicated uh, with a hammer or something. It, it, it's, it's kind of a love relationship, I think. Uh, you have to kind of love the organism and, and try to understand its its purpose uh, from its perspective. I think, it's, it's, I think that's fun, the most fun way to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Fumezyme from DSM Firminiche. You can combat fumonisins in your feed with Fumezyme from DSM Firminiche. Fumezyme is the only FDA-approved enzyme to degrade fumonisins. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. Are there any topics that we haven't covered that you'd uh, like me to uh, ask you about or that you'd like to discuss? Uh, I, think, I think one thing was uh, for Campbell back to that's important, uh, interesting. We just went through the COVID time. Uh, oh, we're not, we're not still here, but but it's uh, the big impact is hopefully behind us. But it, uh, it was quite interesting because I'm sitting with um, uh, part of my work is also to uh, look at the monitoring of stenosis mm -hmm. in Denmark, uh, collect the data for these kind of things and report them. Um, and, and of course, we are discussing the trends and how things have developed. And it was, it's been very interesting to follow uh, also the foodborne illnesses, uh, because of course, production produces, production produces food for us because we need the food. 
but the way we got ill from it changed in the in, in the in number of cases and and so on. So it's been very interesting to follow uh, what 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 was the change from is it from traveling to the restriction mm -hmm. from traveling or is it because we didn't go and grill so much? Uh, <laughs> we didn't have the social events of going grilling in the summer uh, mm -hmm. or something like that. And it's very interesting to kind of uh, get a, a unique view into uh, behavior uh, through that COVID uh, impact. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just also interesting because I think it's also uh, allows you to do more of this detective work of how we eat our food and how we, we, we handle it, basically. Um, Import-export is also affected by these things. So, so, so this... This is very interesting to kind of think of how our production suddenly changes with with uh, mm -hmm. another disease in this case, of course, it would be a war or a shortage of resources or something. Well, and of course, there there was a devastating impact of of COVID, but uh, it did allow for some, as you said, unique opportunities to look at um, you know society wide changes in people's behavior that uh, uh, maybe wouldn't have. Uh, created an opportunity or you wouldn't been able to create that opportunity uh, artificially so we also had the uh, i mean now that we have the, uh, in europe we have the war in ukraine for example which affects uh, a lot of the the things that normally would be exported to europe from ukraine and mm -hmm. and um, this includes feed and it includes uh, other productions that that the, uh, the animal food production uses uh, which I have observed also require, requires them to make different changes in where they get so their, their source material, there's food and, and other things, bedding materials and so on uh, from different sources, which means that, again, the ecological situation can change by a, a, a geopolitical situation like that. Uh, uh, so even if you just turn down the temperature to save some energy because of gas prices or something like that, can again affect you know how well a bacteria survives in, in the farm and so on. So it's I think it's very interesting to kind of see again the detective work how the bigger picture is also kind of affecting the uh, the local situation in a farm, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, and somehow uh, subtle changes might have uh, effects that we wouldn't anticipate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's very fascinating how it's again the one health how everything is connected, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Brian, for your time. Uh, again, our audience, uh, we uh, spoke with Dr. Brian Lassen from Technical University of Denmark. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please give us a, a thumbs up on the platform you're using to view the interview. I'm Doug Corver, and I'll see you next time on the Poultry Podcast Show. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wise Minutes, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.